we see what happened last time out against Spurs? In my little McGinn montage that I've created, winning the ball off Harry Kane. He's done Son, he's done Hoiberg. He's also done uh, Hoiberg again. Again, he's done another one. I think that's Son when he barged him off the ball. He then went on to take the ball off another defender. Um, picked up the ball in the middle of the park. Absolutely ran rings around Richarlison all game. That's Son on the floor again. Uh, again, McGinn running rings around somebody. Harry Kane on his face. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean. Eating grass, mate, eating grass. Last couple of minutes, McGinn, last man tracking back, winning the ball, uh, and then another last ditch tackle in the box. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely fantastic from um, John McGinn. And I, I just felt like we needed, <laughs> we needed a bit of context just for the, you know, for the media world to see. I, I just, I just uh, hope, I just hope that when this episode's released, that people will just hear the music that you've been playing in my ear. Because if not, it's, this little montage gonna look really weird. Eh? The <laughs> clown just, soundtrack. <laughs> I just yeah, I'm sorry, I'm crying here. You know. <laughs> I just felt like that music just suited Spurs defending. It's fair to say Spurs have improved somewhat since last season. But I thought I'd just bring that back for the memories of our last experience against Spurs because... I love that episode I did. It was so funny. Welcome, oh, Justin, God. to our what match preview. How are you doing? Oh. <clears throat> yeah, I'm better now. That's really cheered me up. That that was funny. I remember that well. Great, great <laughs> <laughs> clip that is. <laughs> right. Uh, so yeah. we've had our international <clears throat> break. We have regrouped, recouped, and we are raring, ready to go. Unai has been in Milwaukee, watching the Milwaukee books. Uh, we've wedded Wes Edens, so you know, that looks really cool. On social media, the whole gang was there, so I imagine that was a real good insight for Emery to see how sort of like Milwaukee books operate, um, etc. So, yeah. Let's go then. Spurs, big game. Big, big, big game this is. There's no two ways about it. We can't sugarcoat this. Anything other than saying it is a massive, massive game. Not only is it a massive game for Aston Villa, it's a massive game for Spurs. Because if Aston Villa can win this game, then I imagine we will go inside the top four. We'll overtake Spurs. And there's massive incentive on that front. Um, and there's massive incentive as well to set the record straight with our away form as well. You know, we're going to a team that are currently above us, a team that have played pretty, pretty well so far this season. And it's a challenge. And like I said in the episode I did um, on Sunday about, you know, are we the real deal? Well, we're soon about to find out whether we are or not because of the fixtures that we've got coming up. And can we sort of grasp this opportunity? And can we 
go into form going into this heavily congested December period. So, Justin, what are your initial thoughts then ahead of Spurs? Yeah, looking forward to this one. Feels like the first real proper test this season. We've had some difficult games. Um, but obviously the early, two early defeats, we sort of suffered. We hadn't got into our stride then, had we? And, you know, the season was just sort of started. Everyone was feeling each other out. Whereas this now feels like, you know, the, the, the table's now looking fairly established. Um, it, it takes a lot now to either drop away, a real drop of form to drop away, or it takes a real good run of form to push yourself up the table. So, you know, we're there on merit. We're in that top five on merit. Spurs are there on merit as well. They've had a fantastic start to the season. You know, going 10 unbeaten, their best start ever. So it feels, you know, alongside the other two big games coming up, we got that this is a, a, one of the real testers for us now. And, and I think we're ready for it. This is where we are now as a team and as a club. And I think Emery, he, he will be absolutely relishing it going to a, a big, a big club like Spurs who are doing really, really well on a par with us. You know, our start is, is as good as theirs now, isn't it? <clears throat> so, yeah. It's going to be a really, really exciting game. Uh, it's going to be the first visit for me. I'm going to the, the new Spurs stadium. I've been many times to the old White Hart Lane. So I'm looking forward to seeing the stadium as well. But um, as a club, I think we should be relishing this game on Sunday. It's a, a really mouth-watering one to get back into action after an international break. Definitely. So what we're going to do, we're going to preview the game on this episode and then on the predicted lineup, we're going to go in-depth tactically. We're going to have a look at Spurs more in-depth. That'll be coming out tomorrow and then we'll predict Aston Villa's lineup and what we want to expect. So the tactical element of our content this week will be on the predicted lineup. But initial thoughts on Ange Poskakoglu. He has done very, very well so far. He has established a style of play, a way of playing. He has recruited pretty well in Madison. Van der Ven was looking very, very good. So on that front, I've been thoroughly impressed. I've been thoroughly impressed with their system and, and the way that they've been playing. Um, and yeah, they're, they're, looking, they're looking pretty, pretty good. Um, we've got Madison out, Basuma out, Romero out, Richarlison out, Van der Ven out, which are all big players. And I think if we look at Spurs before the Chelsea game, they were playing very, very well. You know, they were attacking well, they were defending well. The keeper's been absolutely amazing. Vicario, you know, he, he's been in sublime form. Some of the saves he's been pulling off have just been like worldies left, right, and center. And, and, and I before that, I was pretty, pretty impressed with them. Um, and I was sort of subconsciously in my head thinking, when it gets challenging, we're about to see how good they are and, and where the injuries come in. And and that first setback, we're about to see, you know, a, bit, a bigger test and, and, and how they can react to that. They lost to Chelsea and they lost to Wolves. So, you know, they're not in the greatest of form now coming off the back of two losses, you know, with those injuries and those suspensions that they've got, you know, to their, to the team of how well they've been playing. This is now a different Spurs that Aston Villa are going to be playing. There's no two ways about it. You know, it's a completely different Spurs side to the one pre Chelsea. And I think what we're going to get in on this episode with some of the still images, you're going to start to see, 
patterns on how Aston Villa can really hurt Spurs. But Justin, what are your thoughts on Ange and what are your thoughts on some of the players that they've got missing for this game? Yeah, I, I you know what? I follow Scottish leagues. Well, you follow Rangers and Celtic. A lot of English fans do, and it's you know it's interesting. And he did a good job up there. Yes, we know it's a very limited league, and there's normally only two teams that can win things. But I really liked him up there. And then the big question when he got the job at Spurs was, you know, could he replicate anything like what he did up there uh, down in England, which is a much harder thing to do, as we saw when Stephen Gerrard arrived from Rangers to us. Um, and I, I, he's been a breath of fresh air for me. You know, he's probably my second favourite manager in the league behind Unai. I've loved his press conferences. I've loved his candour. I've loved the way he talks to the press. He's he's very open. He's very honest. Um, he's no nonsense. You know, he's got a nice aura around him. Um, and I think that's harnessed the Tottenham squad. I think I, I think it's desperate. They're desperately needed. You know, losing Harry Kane, which was inevitable in the summer, eventually. Um, you know, could have gone really badly wrong for him. You know, especially if they'd have picked the wrong manager to go in and try and pull it all together. But I think the, the sort of combination of of he, the way he goes about things and the money he's had to spend with the Kane sale, I think he's done really, really well in the transfer window, and he's sort of created a really strong spine to this Spurs team now. You know, the goalkeeper like Yusuf Vicaria, um, Van de Ven, the, the, the centre half. And then he's revitalised Basuma, who was looking lost there last season. And then he's dropped Madison in, sort of in the 10 role. And then Son's now sort of taken up the Harry Kane role up front. So, you know, and, and, and players are in and around as well. They've looked really, really good. And, and, he, and they've they got off to a good start. And, and that's all you need sometimes. You can sort of get off the off, off the back of, of one or two good results and, and suddenly you start motoring, don't you? And he harnessed that early energy in, in the season and, and they've just gone on and on and on and on and they have hit a little bit of a brick wall recently so it's going to be interesting to see what he does on Sunday and you are right you know this isn't the Spurs team of two or three weeks ago they're going to be missing some really really key players and maybe in years gone by you know we, we might have gone in a bit blase with different managers but again and I'll repeat this every single game we will not be blase going into Sunday's game Unai will know exactly what he's facing. He'll know they won't be as strong as they can be personnel-wise, but that doesn't mean they won't be very well set up and, and they won't cause us problems because they've still got some very, very good players. You know, I watched them against Wolves and <clears throat> they did pretty well, to be fair. It was only a real bit of a smash and grab right at the end that, that sort of took the points for Wolves in that game. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be really, really interesting. But I like what he's done. They've still got some very good players. It looks like Son, although he had a bit of a knock on international duty, is going to be fine. Uh, so they're going to be a threat, aren't they? So we've got to be on our toes. You know, our way for, as we know, isn't as good as we'd like it to be. So this is an opportunity now to go and hopefully turn our away form around. Definitely. We'll get on to the away form in a second then. So if we have a look at the the head-to-head -head in the Premier League era, Spurs have got 24 wins, Villa have got 17. We've got seven away wins and they've got 14 home wins. The current form guide looks like this. Uh, Aston Villa are in slightly better form going into this with our win against Fulham. Uh, and then, you, like we said earlier, you've got the two losses for Spurs against Wolves and Chelsea. And the previous meetings, um, 
I showed you at the start, the last previous meeting, that went very, very well for Villa. Uh, we'd got also, we'd done the double over them last season. We had our 2-0 win, which was a brilliant away performance under Unai Emery. And then we've got a 4-0 loss in there. That was pre-Emery and that was pretty much standard practice in this pick, in this fixture, really. Um, you know, before that, we'd sort of got angles when we first got promoted. And I'm just so glad that that, Memories just kind of evaporated from my mind now. Um, but Justin, you mentioned one thing, and I spoke about it on uh, my episode on Sunday. But what do you make of the away form then? Is it concerning or not? Um, not at the moment, it's not. I mean, the main reason for that is, and, and there's not been more spoken about i suppose is because the home form is so excellent so it has taken the pressure off the away results hasn't it so you know there hasn't been as much need to go and win away from home because we're just winning everything at home but having said that you know if our home form can continue as it is and we can start becoming better away then we're in a ph phenomenal position aren't we you know we're one of only two teams to be unbeaten not only just unbeaten at home but win every single home game but when you look at that away table realistically you know, one more win and we're in that potentially the mm. third best away form, isn't it? So it's, yeah. you know, getting away point, getting away wins in the Premier League is notoriously difficult to do. And, you know, if you can somehow start winning away games, then, then you are going to push yourself into some serious contention for some serious results and, and, a, and a really good finish in the Premier League. So whilst it doesn't look great on paper, seven points, it's not the end of the world at the moment and it's something that I'm pretty sure they'll be looking to, re to rectify over the next sort of five or six games uh, and we've had some tricky away games haven't we as well you know the Liverpool game was really difficult um, so it's something we can do something about starting hopefully against Spurs mm -hmm. Definitely. So we're going to fly through some of the other graphics that we normally put on show. Um, this next graphic is really impressive from Spurs' point of view. The blue is where Spurs utilise the ball and work with their style of play. The grey are contested, which means it's neither Spurs or the opposition who are dominant. And then the red shows where the opposition teams are dominant. And I imagine that's inside their own box. But, you know, Spurs have been pretty, pretty commanding with their style of play. On this graphic, you can see whether they are slow and intricate like Manchester City or whether they are fast and direct. So you can see that Luton are more direct in their style of play and then Aston Villa are sort of sitting, edging towards um, the slow and, slow and intricate. We're averaging a passing sequence of around four. Spurs are 4.4. So we're in and around Spurs kind of with, with our playing style as well. And I think this is um this is a really interesting graphic on 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 how it shows you know how teams play. You know, you've got West Ham there that are really good on transition, another team that are really good on transition, you've got Nottingham Forest. So it really does show um that uh, different comparisons on on each team's styles as well. Um, so we'll move to Aston Villa's graphic now. So I'll try and bring you this each week because this graphic does change each week. And I imagine come the end of the season, we'll, you will get a broader picture 
after 38 games. Uh, Aston Villa, you can see we're the blue. So we're very, very comfortable playing out from the back. We're comfortable in central midfield. And then we can go out wide. You know, we've got our threat with Luca Dean and we've got Bailey out wide or Moussa Diaby running into that corner as well. Like I say, the, the grey is contested. So it's neither Villa or the or the opposition. It's neutral. And then the opposition against Villa are in the red as well. So if we go back to the Wolves game now, so take ourselves to a couple of weeks ago. I know it seems a long time ago. Um, and these were the stats from the game that Spurs had against Wolves. They had 58% possession. Justin, you spoke earlier about Spurs playing well in this game. I think it showed a bit of weakness for me in, in the way in which Villa are going to be able to exploit Spurs. And we're going to see some still images in a second. Wolves had 17 shots, four on target, as opposed to Spurs' six shots, to two on target. So that shows that Wolves were pretty active in this game. And this is how Spurs lined up in that game. So you've got Royale, Davis, Dyer and Porro. Uh, in the middle, you've got Hoiberg, Basuma and Saar. And the front three, you've got Brennan Johnson, Hoiming Son and Kulaveski. If we take a look at their average positions, like I say, we will go into a bit more detail on tomorrow's episode. But briefly, what you can see is you can kind of see what Spurs are trying to do with their system. They're playing with a two at the back, with Basuma sitting in that holding role in the number eight, and their system is all about inverting both fullbacks into central areas. So number 12, uh, you can see he's inverting into that central area, and they will invert and offer a threat straight down that pitch as well, also in those attacking areas. And you can see this perfectly on the passing network. Emerson Royale, the left back, look where, where he is. You know, he's in that advanced central area. You've got Pedro Porro also in an advanced central area. And then you've got the front three of Johnson, Humingson and Kulaveski. And it's Busuma who's sitting in that sort of pivot there. They're not afraid to have Emerson Royale or Pedro Porro making up that pivot either. Um, so centrally, we have to be very wary of this. But we'll go into this more tomorrow. Um, and then you can see Wolves' passing network um, and where they got some joy in this game as well. This is a pretty good passing network. You've got a Lamina in a central pivot there, but you've also got width going out wide as well. So, Justin, thoughts on what I've just explained? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way they use their fullbacks. You know, we tend to sort of, one goes forward, the other one sort of sits in and creates that three or... Um, Kamara drops in to make that three. So we're always pretty well set when we go forward that we've got that cover at the back where it seems that they're happy to sort of rely on the two centre-halves with one six with, with Bissouma just sitting in. So there seems to be a bit of options there and a bit of possibility for us to maybe exploit them down the wings. Um, you know, Spurs is a big, it's a big old wide pitch as well, isn't it? So I think there should be plenty of opportunities. I mean, that, for us to get at them and, and create chances. And especially based on, you know, the amount of chances that Wolves um, created. Uh, when I say I think they did well, I think what, what I mean by that is to, to sort of put a bit more meat on it is considering the players that they had missing in the game and, and they've been on such a good run, 
I think they adapted quite well uh, to the game. And as I say, it was only really a few minutes at the end that they threw it away. But yes, Wolves did have a lot of joy in that game. So it's something we need to really take a lot of, of um, positives from. And, you know, they're, they're coming off the back of two losses. So they're going to be really, really eager to, to, to get back on the on the on the winning track again, so they're not going to. I don't see them sitting back. I really don't. Um, interesting the the stat one where we, you know the passing where we sort of play very similar style to them as well. You know, will they have the patience that we show? You know, we know that there's plenty of times where we'll just sit with the ball at the back and wait for the opposition to come on to us. So it could be a game of sort of who blinks first. You know, who's going to make that attacking run first, who's going to, uh, you know, commit further forward, who's going to commit more players throwing it forward, are we just going to sit back in and wait for them to come to us and then we'll just hit them on the break with Diaby or Bailey, Watkins. It's going to be another fantastic and very interesting tactical game, isn't it, to to sit and watch and, you know, the in-game. I think in-game is going to be good as well, the way that Mm -hmm. maybe it's changed. As the game progresses, you know, you might even see changes after 10, 15, 20 minutes. You know, we're not averse, well, Emery's not averse to, 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 to sort of tweaking things as, as soon as that. So it's going to be very interesting, but I'm fully confident we can go there and get a result. I really am. You mentioned who's going to blink first. Whose high line <laughs> is going to blink first? It should be the mm. question. And this is very, very interesting. And I've got to admit, Spurs' high line pre-Chelsea was very, very good. I was very impressed with Spurs' high line, and there is one reason for that, and it was the turn of speed of Van der Ven. So many times, Van der Ven was bailing them out. Oh, I think that's the term you could use, because the high line had been breached, and he was the one with that blistering speed on that recovery who was sort of saving them, basically. Um, so with him out, this is an area I think Villa are really, really going to look to try and exploit. Here you can see an image of the game against Chelsea where Chelsea's tactic was the ball over the top pretty much all game. So many occasions in this game where Son was still being that willing runner. If only they'd have dropped off slightly, even dropped off to there. I think, you know, that's still a high line there. But this was ridiculous, in my opinion. What What are your thoughts on this? We've nine players. Yeah, it's very difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, once you get down to nine players, you've almost it's almost impossible, isn't it, to, to try and get anything out of the game. So, I suppose, in a way, you could commend him for, for still trying to condense the pitch. And, and I suppose the, the thought process is if he can get any, you can get your defenders up to the halfway line, it then would naturally push whatever players you've got left into more attacking positions. And they did, if my memory serves me correctly. I think that the plaudits they got was for trying to do just that, trying to somehow get something out of the game. And I think they did create a few chances um, playing that way. But obviously, with nine men, you're very, very susceptible to being hit on the break and you only need one or two uh, decent balls through, which which proved their undoing. But uh, again, I think it was very brave. I and mean, with nine men, normally you see it at the team just say, right, we can't win this now. Let's just not try and concede seven or eight, you know. And 
yes, it did go wrong. They lost by four in the end. But I think, as I say, I think maybe commend him a little bit for for just not giving up on the game when you've got two players off the pitch. Um, but yes, it, it was a bit suicidal. But yeah, there's one, there's two ways of going about it, and he decided to think, sod it, let's try and go for it. So it's interesting. I think that just shows the mentality of the manager, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. So, an area of, of concern for me, if I had to have a concern especially, would be the front three of Spurs. And this was their goal against um, Wolves. We've got Kulaveski, who gets to the byline, gets the crossing. And you've got Brennan Johnson, who's making that run to that back post. So, I think both fullbacks have really got to be aware that if it does get to that 1v1 scenario, that we've got another player who can come in and sort of just, you know, make a 2v1. And I think, um, you know, John McGinn and, and our players that are playing in that sort of wide midfield area, you know, are pretty, pretty good at doing that. Um, but there was areas of, well, areas that I think Villa can exploit um, and we've showed on that graphic of where you've sort of got Bissouma, the, the one that's just sitting in there holding. And the areas for me are sort of in behind when the, both of those fullbacks go forward. You know, there was time and time again in this game where they were getting turned on transition, which enabled Wolves to have 4v3 or 3v3. So I think if Villa can sort of bypass that midfield um, and then turn them on that transition then we've got pace to exploit as well. Again, we've got another 3v3 here. Again, once you've bypassed Basuma in that role, Basuma's not going to be playing in this game, but once that has been bypassed in there as well, you know, they are a little bit light. You know, there's there's a lot of space. There's a lot of gaps in these type of areas. Um, so that should do you think, give Villa a little sorry, bit... Luke, do you, sorry, Luke. Sorry. Do you think there's a, there's a... Go back to that one, sorry. Do you think there's a, a case to be made that, that because they've had such a good start to the season that they are overconfident in, in a way? That, you know, the, the way they play has sort of gleaned so many good results and positive results, so many wins, not lost, lost any games, that they're, they're playing in this sort of flamboyant style of going forward and all of a sudden they've, they've been hit by a couple of defeats, whereas you might have to really think about changing the way they play to an extent because if they do keep getting picked off, if they do keep over committing uh, down the flanks, like you said, the, the way the two fullbacks sit in, if they are leaving just two centre halves and they're not their two best centre halves mm. either, especially against the pace that we've got. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, with the greatest respects to Wolves, you know, our front three are back against theirs and, and their front three caused them tons and tons of problems. So, you know, in, in a way, if they play that way against us, we really could go to town on them if they're not careful. So I do wonder whether he will decide to maybe tweak their style on Sundays and we might see something we haven't seen from them yet this season. Yeah, you are right in what you're saying because what this type of system does leave is it leaves the back two isolated. And like yeah, you know what you said, it, it's Dyer and Ben Davis in there. You know, th there's yeah. not a lot of pace in there. Um, so I and think especially again, without that six, especially without that cover of Basuma, who's played so well mm -hmm. this season, you know he's back to almost his best of what we saw before the pre Tottenham move. You know he's been he's been shielding that back four in in a really fantastic way. So I would think Hoiberg will come back in there and, and try and play in there. So very interesting to see what they the, the format, not just the formation they pick, uh, but the way they set up. 
Yeah, and one player who, I mean, we don't need to be told about Son because he's got hat-tricks against us. He's ripped us apart numerous times, so I don't really need to tell you how good he is because we've actually seen it at Villa Park. But a little bit of an area of concern for me would be if Aston Villa are pushing forward and we are, you know, trying to go for it, you know, if you leave Son in these type of areas and he's always available in this type of area, you know, he's sitting and, and working in and around here and just dropping a little bit deeper and coming away from central defenders, it, it can do serious damage in these, in these positions. And, you know, Wolves were fortunate that he didn't put this one away, but we, we've really got to be aware and, and, um, just make sure we are fully aware of Son and his positioning and, and on transition, the threat uh, that Son can have. But then I highlighted two other areas, and this goes to what me and you were saying, Justin, about this defence. The runner in behind, the runner coming through two players. This was the first goal against uh, Spurs, and it was Sarabia who managed to time his run perfectly split those two players. No one ran with him. They were both static, the defenders, and he was able to score from this instance. And then again, when the game went late on, it was another run from Lamina who split those two players there and he was able to get that shot off and score the goal. So defensively, I would say Aston Villa really should be looking to target Spurs' defence with a lot of movement um, and just work getting into the right areas, uh, and I think I think we can we can do really well in this game, Justin. I think you know it's a game yeah. that I, I don't want us to be fearful of. I want I want a Sevilla like going there, doing a job and getting the job done because I believe in us and and I, and I really do think that we can do it. I think we you know on our day I think we're a match for anybody and okay. yeah, yeah, yeah looking forward to it. I think looking, um, looking looking like you're saying that, that those areas you've highlighted and what we've seen with the way they're committing the players the personnel they will have on Sunday, it, it you know it, it leaves us you know our attacking threat not only with Watkins who can isolate and and, and keep the two centre halves occupied on his own that's without a DRB and, and maybe a Bailey and then you throw into the mix a late on rushing John McGinn who's, who's in. Almost, arguably, some of the form of his life at Villa at the moment. The way he's scoring goals and and creating and running havoc through everything, and you know, add to that, Douglas Louise may be pushing on an extra five or ten yards. Then, then they will really have their work cut out, keeping us really quiet and trying to get themselves forward and trying to create things themselves. Mm. So, I definitely, you know, their their front card is their front three, isn't it? You know, Brennan Johnson, Son, and. And Kulisevsky, as you say, probably be the front three on Sunday. So, you know, well, our, our, our back four is good, isn't it? You know, we've got a good keeper. Two shielding sixes will do their jobs as they do week in, week out. And then it's up to the front four to sort of wreak havoc. And I think the game will be won. I think we are better. I think our attackers are better than their defenders, whereas I think their attackers are on the par with our defenders. And I think we can keep them quiet. And I don't think they'll be able to keep us quiet. I think that's where we win the game. I think I remember Emery when he was on about the Burnley game and he was talking about possession and he was mentioning that, you know, maybe we weren't going to have all of the ball. And then we sort of played in that sort of 
counter-attacking dynamic style, didn't we, when it was the 3-1 game? Mm. I kind of feel yeah. like a similar sort of trait to this game would be that because I think what areas can we really exploit and hurt Spurs? And if they're coming on to us and having a, a decent amount of possession, you know, we've we've shown from the images the gaps that they leave. And we've got two players who are electric. You know, they're so fast and dynamic. And you maybe add Bailey into that mix as well at some point in this game. You know, we we've got a lot of areas that we can really hurt them. And I, and I spoke about this, you know, numerous times this season about our actual style and the fact that it doesn't have to be the same every week. We don't have to play the same every week. We've seen already this season that when we're at home and, you know, we're having all of the ball and we maybe concede and it's 2-1 and then the opposition are having a bit of a bit of a go at us and we change our style, go a little bit more direct, play on the counter-attack, 3-1, job done, game game wrapped up. You know, so our style can 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 evolve and, and I think that's really something that... Um, that really, really does excite me. So we're going to finish the episode off, Justin, and we're going to be, we're going to talk because I think this is fitting for both teams. So if there's some Spurs fans watching, or you know, we can talk about high lines. The Arsene Wenger offside rule. Now, have you heard about it? Have you seen it or not? Just where clear daylight is it? Or the feet. yeah, right. Clear so daylight, this yeah. this. This would probably really affect Villa and Spurs because we both play with a high line. We both use VAR to our advantage. We both keep it very, very tight. So even if an opposition team scores against Villa, it's always checked by VAR with a, with a you know a fine fine tooth. You know it's so precise, isn't it? Um, so this would really affect both of us. Arsene Wenger has come up with a rule that maybe may come into fruition in a couple of years' time. And it's going back to the old school daylight. So as you can see on the top, the yellow is the attacker and the white and red is the defender. So within this rule, this goal's onside, right? But the bottom one where there is clear daylight between the attacker's foot and the defender's arm or knee or whatever would be deemed as offside. What are your thoughts, Justin? I think it's ridiculous. I do generally think it's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, uh, two reasons. One, just go back to that graphic, sorry. I might be able to explain oh. what I mean a bit better. Basically, what I mean by that is, so if, if this rule comes in, then it immediately gives a huge advantage to the forward because he hasn't got mm -hmm. to basically stay level with with the defender. So what does the, how do you then coach your defenders? You know, if they drop a bit deeper, then the forward just has another yard, another yard. So the forward can always effectively stay ahead of the defender. So where mm -hmm. you're defending, you're defending your six yard box. It leaves no no sort of error room for error for a defender. If they've got a yard on you constantly. All you've got to do is make sure your hand, you know, your back arm is touching the defender. You haven't got to be fouling him and then you're on side, aren't you? And my other problem with it is you look at that line on there. Now, you, what happens if his hand is, is a millimetre further forward? We're going to have exactly the same arguments on a match day because where do they draw the line? 
Mm-hmm. If you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I know your hand is probably not classed as a, a part of part of play, so they'd have to go off your knee or something. There would still be an element of where do you draw your line? Now, from the distance <laughs> the cameras are away, how on earth can you draw a line? It's definitively exactly the same as with the problem we have now is they're moan about, is that line, is it right? You know, can you see through two players, there's a melee of players, especially on a free kick or a corner, somebody's flying the free kick in. Sorry, on a free kick, where do you draw the line? And people are saying, well, that, you know, he looks like his knees just slightly ahead. And, and you imagine if one player is one side of the pitch, and not next to each other, you've got the fullback who's playing the left winger on side. How on earth can you tell to, to the accuracy that he's got clear daylight? And there's not, you know, it's exactly the same problem. All you're doing is you're changing the argument, aren't you? You're not, you're not, you're not solving anything you're just making it far more advantageous to the forwards and you know yes we want to see goals more goals but how many goals are you going to see if the forwards but you know, know what advantage all the time do you remember when Wenger spoke about reducing the time of the matches because Wenger's theories he wants to see the obviously he wants to see the ball in play more and he wants to see more goals so I can imagine this is why he's come up with that one because, like you're saying, it gives the attacker a, a massive, massive advantage. And it got me thinking about VAR when we when when I, when I saw this image, and I, I wanted to talk about it because you know I, we start the topic and the comment section finishes the conversation off with their thoughts. But I do think there needs to be a change, and there needs to be something changed within the offside rule. Now, I don't know what it is, but I'm going to take you back to an image that, you know, is where I think the offside rule, something needs to change. And it's to do with this image as well. No, he's going to bring that and, up. No, he's going to bring the that re- up. But the reason why, why I've brought this image up is because the attacker is walking in a different direction to where the goal is. Do you see where I'm coming from here? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. So, so the attacker's not gaining an advantage here because he's walking in the opposite direction. So what are your thoughts on VAR at, at the minute then with, with the offside? Are you are you currently happy with it or do you think something does need to change with it? I don't think anybody's ever been happy with the offside rule. The rule was there to, to stop goal hanging, basically. And that's from time and memoriam, ever since footballs began. So ever since that rule came in, it's to stop people just standing on the goal line, tapping them in. There's never going to be a way of solving this issue. There just isn't. All we're trying to do with VAR is make it supposedly easier to find out whether you are or you aren't offside. Now, whether you have a clear daylight, a yard, you know, level, Whatever you, whatever metric you choose to judge whether you're offside or not from, you've still got the problem that there might be nine out of every ten very easy to tell, which is still that like that now. You can tell when normally when you see that image, if you know straight away whether you're off or not. It's the ones that are very, very close to call that all the problems come from. Now, whether you are clear daylight, there are still going to be those times when there's such a minute gap in between. They're going to people and saying, really? Is the clear daylight there? How can you tell when you've got a left back and a right wing? That's what I'm saying. So you're never going to stop that debate and the argument. Now, even before VAR, you'd have 
a steal on match the down the night and they go, that was just offside, but the line out didn't call it. For me, yes, it was annoying, but you just accepted it because you got a few, a few went for you in the season, a few went against you in the season. And you still see that now. You still see you know, that goal, the first goal um, was given um, uh, in the last Europa League game that was, that was disallowed. It was proven afterwards that it should have been given. So what's the difference mm-hmm. that you've got VAR or not? You know, that was not given. And on the day, the ref could have, without VAR, the ref could have disallowed it and then afterwards could have said, actually, that was a goal. So you're not er- eradicating these problems. You're just making them far more annoying, especially for the crowds that are in the stadiums to, to sort of try and enjoy a game. Yes, I think we've all sort of got used to it now. They We've scored. Right, hang on a sec. Is there going to be a VAR review? Have we got a wait? And then you get that nice little cheer if you have, if it's allowed. So that's a bit of sort of playfulness. But ultimately, has VAR improved the game? No, it hasn't. And I, I refute anybody to say it has. Goal line technology, great, fantastic. It works really, really well, like it does in rugby, like it does in cricket. But VAR ultimately is still run by somebody who has to make an arbitrary decision, mm. whether they are 300 miles away in an office or sat in the centre circle with a whistle in their hand. So whilst it's human error, you're always going to get problems, aren't you? So I don't know how you resolve this issue, but by constantly tweaking the rules and and bringing more rules in, more rules in, all you're doing is overcomplicating the matter. That's just my opinion. There might be an answer out there, but nobody's come up with it yet. And if they haven't come up with it after so many years and so many bright bright brains of sort of thinking and thinking and thinking constantly. And I don't know where you go with it, but whether it's clear daylight or level, it's you still have the same problem for me. Yeah, and and there's one final thing that's that's now starting to really get on my nerves, and it's a rule that has been brought in, and now we're starting to see a bit of a shift with it where is it right? Is it not right? Are players who are standing in front of the line of the goalkeeper, you know, at the start, it was if anybody's in line in the eyes of the goalkeeper, it's not a goal. But now we're starting to get ones where is he a little bit to the left? Can the keeper see? We'll give that one. Or is he, is he touch? Is he not? And, and I think that one now starting to get in that area where that's, that will be scrapped soon or it will, I just, I just think that would probably be scrapped you, soon because it's a difficult one. Because again, how on earth can you, looking from the touchline or the stands or an office, decide whether that person is made has made him standing there has made any impact on that goal? Mm-hmm. You know, if you score a banger from thirty-five yards, you've hit a screamer into the top right-hand corner. Literally, two goalkeepers wouldn't save it. But there's a bloke standing in an offside position, really reasonably in line. You're telling me that that's going to make an impact on that ball not going in that net? It's just a load of rubbish. And like you say, when you go back, they have to make that decision. All right, is it is it interfering or not? You don't need it. You just don't need it. I think it's just overcomplicating things all the time. You know, we've had them go for us and go against us. I think the England one the other night was that that was the latest one, was it? Declan yeah. Rice. And now I, I I I don't think the keepers, whether there's a bloke standing there or not, I still don't think the keepers getting anywhere near that. So it shouldn't have been left offside. But the rules were: you got VAR. They looked at it and they decided that it impacted on the goalkeeper. I don't know. It's a load of rubbish mm-hmm. for me. 
Cool, right. Hopefully I'm we've I'm old sparked. <laughs> hopefully we've sparked a bit of a discussion between you in the comment section. Finally, then we'll finish off on score predictions. I have to back us in this. I have to, and I'm gonna go for a two-one Villa win. I think we're gonna do it, Villa fans. It's gonna be one of those where it's a proper Unai Emery away performance and it's going to have everything that we've seen in our previous year with Unai Emery. It's going to have blistering pace. It's going to have tactical defending. It's going to be beautiful. So 2-1 for me, Justin. Yes, you'll be surprised to hear I'm going to back a Villa win. Um, <laughs> ultimately, it comes down to can they stop a scoring? I don't think they can. Can we stop them scoring? Yes, I think we probably can. So I'm going to say 2 0 Villa. Oh, love it. Love Same it. As last right. year. Now, we have been not talking about Villa in the inter Well, no, we have, but we've not been talking about active Villa. We are going through a busy period now. So there's going to be a lot of episodes, a lot of content. So show your support. Um, and especially in December, there's going to be games here, there and everywhere. Uh, so we're still going to have loads of content coming out. After this one, you will have your predicted lineup, tactical in-depth look at how Spurs play. Uh, then we are going to have an opposition preview. Uh, so we've got that one as well. That's going to be a really good one. We've got the press conference. We've got the score prediction episode. That will be out on Saturday. And then we'll have a reaction to the game on Sunday. And then we'll turn our attention to Europe. We got we got Europe that week, then haven't we? So I think we got Europe. Yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, looking big, forward to that. Games. My brother's coming back from France, so uh, we're going to the game together. So hopefully, I'm going to get him on the fan cam as well. Uh, so you'll see Zach on the fan cam. Uh, so yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy this week's worth of content. Subscribe if you are new. Up the villa. Up the villa.